Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, baby. Across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska. On this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, it is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking discussions, uh, especially about things happening in the state of of Alaska, not to be confused with the state of confusion, which <laughs> we also seem to be in today. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you for uh, joining us today for Thursday. Dang, this week is going by fast. I mean, woof, just zoom, 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 man. Uh, today, we've got, uh, man, we got a good show lined up for you today. I'm pretty proud of it. I'm pretty excited. Um, joining us, uh, this morning in the, uh, in the program, um, to <laughs> joining us this morning on the program in hour one is going to be Sarah Vance, Sarah Vance, the, uh, uh, representative from down on the peninsula in the Homer area. And we haven't had a chance to chat with her in a while, so we're going to be, uh, we're going to be talking with her and seeing what uh, seeing what it is that she has to say about the upcoming special session. Excuse me, the upcoming session. Oh my God, no, let's not jinx it. Let's not jinx it. Uh, let's uh, so coming up on the special on uh, the regular session and uh, all the big topics that we should be paying attention to, and uh, we'll just get her basic feel for everything that's uh, going on. And we're going to be talking with her here. In just a few moments, um, and uh, get a get a feel for what's uh, happening uh, happening here this morning. Then in hour two, we're going to uh, get a chance to talk to, uh, and this is part of my philosophy, by the way. Um, uh, the uh, you know I I kind of made a I kind of made a commitment to myself that in 2023 I was going to. I was gonna. I was gonna make a. I was gonna make a, a a change. I was going to. Yes, I was going to focus on Alaska politics a lot, but I was also going to do things that made me happy as well, and talk about things that interested me. And so I uh, I, I got a chance to connect with Mark Cameron, who is the uh, who is an Alaska based author. And uh, not only has he wrote, as he has he wrote, not only has he written his own series of uh, thriller novels, the uh, Arliss Cutter novels, and more, he is also the author of five Tom Clancy and Jack Ryan novels for the Tom Clancy estate, including uh, <clears throat> the uh, most, uh, you know, including uh, Shadow of the Dragon and Chain of Command, and so I'm just. <laughs> 
I'm just excited about this because uh, I've been a Clancy fan for a long time. I have been a thriller, a geopolitical thriller fan for a long time. And to get a chance to talk to a Alaskan, uh, you know, adventure thriller writer who has written his own books and written <clears throat> for probably one of the most, I mean, you know, probably one of the most, if not the most well-known geopolitical military fiction thriller writer. Is that, that's a hell of a title. Um, Tom Clancy uh, is, well, it's, it's making my day. It's just making my day. Let me just put it that way. So uh, that's uh, gonna. He's gonna be with us the whole second hour today, and uh, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it, uh, and and uh, and I hope you are too. Something you know, again, a little bit different. Just a way to, uh, just a way to change things up. So we're we're ready to we're ready to go and uh, and get things all uh, uh, get things all rocking and rolling as they say. Um, want to say thank you again to our friends over there at Satellite West for sponsoring this hour of the program. Satellite West, uh, across the state, no matter where you are, uh, whether you're in uh, Lake Minchumina or Minto or Metlakatla or uh, down in Kodiak or up at Anaktuvik or Barrow or Kaktovik or Fairbanks or wherever you are, they can keep you connected to the world via text message, via uh, email, uh, you want to surf the internet, you want to make a phone call, they've got it. Give them, uh, give them a shout, check them out. Um, <clears throat> uh, go over to satellitewest.com and, uh, you can, uh, you can get all the details of that. Special thanks to them for sponsoring the broadcast today. All right, let me get over to some uh, headlines because, oh my God, you want to talk about some juicy, juicy, <laughs> Juicy headlines. I don't even. I just don't even know what to think at at this moment. Um, uh, uh, you know, we have got the latest and greatest coming out of Anchorage City Hall. Now, I know many of you don't care about this because you know. Well, I don't live in Anchorage. Who cares what happens there? But as I've said many, many times, as goes Anchorage, so goes the rest of the state. Eventually, right? I mean, that's what's. <clears throat> coming down. And we saw this, uh, this, this, uh, this trouble flare up, uh, right around, uh, you know, right around the end of last, uh, right around the end of last month as, uh, Amy Domboski, who is a very well-known name. She's a former assembly member from Eagle river, one of the most conservative voices on the assembly. She's been, you know, she's had her own radio show she's filling in now for somebody else and she's been you know i mean this is somebody who's probably very well known she worked for the dunleavy administration uh at one point um and you know this is somebody who's probably pretty well known in conservative circles and was uh had been working for mayor bronson as the city manager um and then just out of the blue she was fired. I mean, like, I just like kind of, there was a lot of stuff going on, some weird things happening. Now, we all know that this, this thing has been so contentious in the city uh, that it's crazy, but it was a little surprising for many of us that this, that this happened. Well, now we are hearing uh, that maybe there was something going on in there. Amy Domboski, 
and I, I don't even know which way to go on this because Bronson was the, you know, he was the candidate for the Save Anchorage crowd. Many of the very conservative people in Anchorage were sick of the direction that the assembly is going. And uh, <clears throat> Deboski at the time seemed like a good pick. Well, now she's firing back. Uh, he, she was fired on December the 19th. Uh, after which she said that the mayor's staff leaked information to certain people in the media in attempt to uh, uh, to uh, destroy her reputation. Uh, and so she has retained, of all people, of all people, she has retained attorney Scott Kendall. You know Scott Kendall, right? Scott Kendall of Alaskans for Better Elections, Scott Kendall of Bill Walker fame, Scott Kendall, who uh, is representing um, uh, Jenny Armstrong, the Scott Kendall who, uh, you know, the the guy, right? I mean, the guy that we've talked about often, you know, all, all the time, so, which seems really a weird, I mean, that just seems like a strange but it it does mean that she apparently is serious about uh, 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 going to the mats. She is she is alleging uh, in a series of releases that got put out to the press, uh, various press re- uh, uh, outlets, that um, that the mayor illegally fired her for reaching out to him and attempting to convince him to cease unlawful and unethical activities using municipal resources. Uh, this is some heavy stuff here, folks. Saying the mayor personally pushed for the si- for the signing of sole source contracts that would have required assembly approval against city code. She said she believes there are approximately 10 or more such contracts. That she fired a city, city employee who did not swing a contract to a well-connected associate that one of his uh, closest advisors, Larry Baker, and the mayor pressured a city employee to sign off on $3.9 million in construction work on a homeless shelter and navigation center in knowing violation of city code under the belief that the employee would take the fall, uh, that he tried to get the city attorney to drop or reduce domestic violence charges against Baker's business partner, that he that Bronson tolerated uh, sexualized jokes and comments while uh, at City Hall, while the City Hall staff reported to Ms. Deboski and others that you treat women in the office different than men, she alleged she experienced gender discrimination from the mayor firsthand. I mean, it just this is a, it's an eleven page. I mean, it's an eleven page deal. You can go through there and read this thing. But all I can say, all I can do is just shake my head and go, "Wow." I mean, we are just tearing each other apart here. Uh, I mean, if even half the allegations in this thing are true, there are some serious, uh, there are some serious problems. Now, it was reported, I mean, to go on the other side of the story here, the day after Domboski was fired, it was reported in the, <clears throat> the Alaska landmine uh, from an anonymously sourced, from an anonymous source, the Deboski had been fired after calling the purchasing director, Rachel Algar, a very, a very bad name, a, a vulgar name. Uh, and that that day, Deboski told the Daily News that Bronson fired her in retaliation after she sent him two emails that detailed her concerns. So you got uh, you got a he said, she said that the 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 word on the grapevine anonymous grapevine is that she got fired for calling the purchasing director a bad name 
uh, but that in her case, it's because she sent him two emails that detailed her concerns about the violation of city code, concerns over gossip, harassment, work environment, and everything else. That's when he fired her. I mean, this is going to be such a hot mess. And and I had to laugh because the the uh, the quote of the day is from is from the middle of this thing where uh, vice Pre- assembly chair, Vi- excuse me, Anchorage assembly vice chair Chris Constant said, speaking also for chair Suzanne LaFrance, we are in shock right now. I mean, this is exactly the kind of turnaround that apparently these folks are thriving for just this I I just don't even know what to say at this point I mean I guess maybe if I sound a little I'm listening to myself and thinking maybe I'm sounding a little I'm not gleeful I'm just laughing because what else can you do at this point I mean the whole thing is just is the wheels are coming off the bus down there uh, and regardless of which side is right or wrong or if the thing is somewhere in between Man, can't we just get it together? Can't we just get it together and govern the largest, you know, city in the state of Alaska? Can't we just make it through? The Anchorage in the ADN <clears throat> goes through uh, goes through a lot of details on this, and uh, I mean, it's a very, very exhaustive article from Emily Goodkunz, uh, Goody Kunz and uh, Kyle Hopkins. And if you get a chance, you probably should go read it if you live in that area, just so that you kind of have the full details. And then you decide, you know, what you think is going to happen. But this is the last chance, she said, uh, for us. She she is asking that they settle immediately and, uh, and otherwise there there's going to be litigation. That's the uh, that's what's that's going to that's what's going to happen. Uh, the letter uh, alleg- uh, alleges that Bronson's behavior following the termination of Dubosky constitutes slander and states that it will de- that its delivery will provide an opportunity to resolve this matter short of extensive discovery and costly litigation. And uh, I mean, oh, man, <laughs> never a dull moment, never a dull moment inside the uh, city of Anchorage. I, I just, I don't even know, you know, and again, my eyebrows raise on the one side based on all these things that were going on and kind of this whole challenging atmosphere that, uh, you know, I suspected that Bronson was having some problems behind the scenes over the whole time. And then on the other hand, the fact that she has retained Scott Kendall, well, that should be, I, I just, I don't know. Don't know what to say. Well, we got to go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return with more and Sarah Vance in just a mo. We'll be back right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
I mean, come on. What do you when I'm reading this and I'm reading this whole thing and uh, uh <laughs> and, and finding out that it was Scott Kendall was her attorney, I was like, What? Uh, what? <laughs> I mean, all I could I just I don't even I don't know I don't know what to say, people. I don't know what to say to that. How exactly does that work? <sighs> Sorry, I'm trying to organize something so that I can. I got the button. I got the button off to the side now instead of on my desk. And I was trying to get it so that it's all squared away. So, good morning to you, my friends. What is happening? Um, I don't know. Sandy said, well, I'm confused. That actually threw me for a loop this morning when she said it, because I looked up and she goes, well, I'm confused. And I'm like, what did I say that was confusing? I don't understand. What did I, what did I say exactly that was confusing? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Brian says he woke up way too early, but was drinking coffee and watching the King of Obsolete on YouTube. Which I haven't, um, which I haven't uh, um, heard of. I have to watch. You know what I find myself watching sometimes on YouTube? It's some guy in Europe, and is it called Tusty? Is it called? I think it's called. Oh, anyway, he restores old items. Like people send him like junk, and he restores it. You know, an old bread slicer, uh, a, a, a coffee grinder, uh, uh, an old lighter, uh, just, just just junk, and he restores the whole thing uh, in like this ASMR kind of no talking. It's all just the – anyway, it's, it's, it's hysterical. So I'm with you, Brian. Sometimes that's what YouTube is for is to just let your brain kind of catch up and get things ready. Okay. Um, grogginess. I'm definitely feeling the grogginess this morning. I, (laughs) you guys are killing me, um, with the, the grogginess. Uh, I couldn't sleep last night and all of a sudden I fell asleep and, and it was the next thing I know my alarm went off. So I'm feeling, oof, baby. Um, it doesn't help when I fall asleep watching cooking shows in the middle of the day, says Sandy. No, when you destroy your own sleep schedule, that's not a uh, that's not a that's not a big thing. Um, all right, um, just scrolling through the just scrolling through the thing here. Um, at this point, man, all you can do, Michael, is hold your nose with all the poo going on. I mean, really, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, really. I mean, this is where we're going with this. Oh man, it's uh, it's crazy. All right, hey, look, I see that uh, I see that uh, Sarah Vance has joined us in the green room. So I suppose we should get all that stuff ready and see what she can uh, see what she can do. Well, good morning, young lady. How are you this uh, this this bright and sunshiny morning? It's so early in the a.m. How are you doing? Doing well. Good, good. 
I know my camera where I need to be. Oh well, you're going to be you're well. See before you get too carried away, you're going to be here. So right. how, however you want to uh, organize yourself, yeah. See there you go. Look at that. Trying to be centered. Look at that. You're centered. I know not enough coffee to figure out where the center of the screen is. That's mm -hmm. where I feel this morning. Oh man. So you ready to do this? Let's go. Just let's go. Oh, yeah. She's ready. All right. She's you know. I talked her into it, man. It's she's such a she's such a trooper because I know that six twenty four is not her favorite time of day. So uh, it uh, it's going to be good. All right, hold the line, sir. We're going to be right back to you. The Michael Duke Show continues. You're home for common sense, liberty based. It's me, not her. The Free Thinking Radio. Over here we go. Okay, welcome back to this beautiful Thursday edition of the Michael Duke Show. Again, uh, focusing uh, primarily on, uh, you know, some Alaska politics and stuff. And, of course, the session starts next Tuesday, and we know it's going to be contentious and yada, 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 yada. It's all coming down. And we haven't had a chance to talk to one of our favorite legislators all the way down from the beautiful uh, Seaside Chalet, the Hamlet by the Sea, uh, Homer, Alaska. Sarah Vance joins us this morning to discuss uh, all things legislative, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, to chatting with her. Good morning, Representative Vance. How are you? Good morning. Doing well, considering it's six twenty-eight in the morning. I know. I know. She's. She's. You know. I. I always try. I'm sorry. I apologize. It is what it is. Uh, but I, I don't know. I've been up since five, so I've, uh, you know, quarter to five. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Um, all right, Sarah. Um, so, uh, you know, this is it. This is the last week of transition. I know you were moving vehicles and getting ready, going down Juno, getting things all squared away. And uh, this is it, right? The last few minutes before the madness commences, right? The 90, the 120-day, the 180-day madness commences um give us a just give us a break check here how you how you feeling how you feeling about the upcoming session how you feeling about everything that happened during the election and where we're going from here give me a give me a, a gut check here i'm i'm feeling hopeful you know this is always an opportunity to to do things right you know every election gives us an opportunity to start afresh and it doesn't always feel that way but i think our attitude determines a lot of that. Now talk to me next week and see how my attitude's going. But, <laughs> you know, I've I've been in the minority for four years. I've been uh, holding the line and just focusing on doing the will of the people. None of that's changed. Uh, but I feel really hopeful that uh, we're going to find some solutions this year. We have a lot of uh, new uh, legislators elect and who are willing to to work together and, and focus on some of the main issues. So, you know, at this point, I have no reason to um, to be negative. Yes, we would like to already have a majority formed, but the voters did not send an overwhelming majority, 
you know, for one side or the other. So it's a matter of us just all getting in the room and and talking it out and seeing who's willing to work together. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this is interesting. I mean, we have changed out. I mean, going back to the Charter of Changes and talking about the Charter of Changes, we change out a huge amount of the legislature in the last few years. And, uh, you know, I keep expecting, you know, at some point there's that, you know, that tripping over the edge, that momentum point of, hey, you've, you've pitched the balance now in the other direction. And it just doesn't seem to have happened yet, uh, primarily because some of the players in there are, you know, they're the old school and they've kind of got control. They get their hand on the wheel, so to speak. Um, but I'm interested to see how some of these new legislators are going to play in the in the sandpit of the majority, the minority coalition, one way or the other. I mean, and of course, the things being up in the air with like Jenny Armstrong and now the Eastman thing is settled, but the Armstrong thing still up in the air. I mean, what what are you what are you thinking about what's happening with with the uh, the layout of the organization in the House so far? Well, I think it's I don't know that we're going to have any big surprises, uh, but right now it's really hard to tell. I mean, legislators are just now getting to Juno. And we're just seeing a few people in the hallway. I still haven't seen a good number of the new legislators. I wouldn't recognize them if I if I saw them in the hallway. So <laughs> that's going to be the very first thing to overcome is right. making sure that I know who they are. Right. And uh, and then creating that relationship, because that really does go a long way. No, and I agree, you know, and I, I get encouraged like, uh, you know, there's been certain legislators that I've been kind of watching since they got into the legislature as 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 newbies, you know, uh, Josiah Patkatak is one of them, because I think that, you know, I, I'm still young enough or old enough. I can't remember which one it is now. Apparently old enough because I can't remember. I'm still uh, I'm still of the age that I remember when the Bush caucus uh, used to caucus with the Republicans because they're, uh, you know, because they felt like what they had was aligning. And and I see some of that kind of same spirit in Pat Kattak and some of the things that he's said. And, and uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of other legislators that have gone down there. And, I, you know, I'm sad to see some not go back. But at the same time, maybe I'm hopeful that maybe with all the changes, maybe something can be done. Um, and now you're, you know, you're feeling a little positive and sunny about it. So that makes me feel a little bit, uh, a little bit better, but you know, like you said, you've been in the minority for four years. This is, this has got to be an exercise in frustration in some ways for you. Yes. Uh, you know, at, at first blush, it's like, are we doing this again? You know, this almost the same, same numbers as before. Groundhog same Day. A red Rover, yeah. you know, Red Rover, Red Rover. Uh, but at the same time, there's it forces us to really work on the things that are important. Right. And that's something that we just haven't done a good job at. We haven't been focused. Yeah. And we have to really make that count. And, and with the makeup of the Senate, we have to think twice about what it is that we're going to focus on so that we can get support and make sure that our time is fruitful. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that can happen. And I'm hoping, you know, I, I was I would like to see a little bit more uh, reaching across the aisles, not necessarily party wise politically, but just kind of, you know, again, majority minority kind of thing. And uh, I'm I'm 
a, a little, you know, I, I don't know. I'm try- Maybe I'm being naive, but I'm hopeful that maybe something like that can happen uh, in this coming session. Now, you've seen some of the talking points. You've seen already, uh, I mean, the Senate uh, leadership is on like full court press right now in the news, getting out there and, and highlighting what they're going to be hitting on and all these other kind of things. But the the bottom line is, is that the House is really the one that has the budget, right? They have the budget and they pass it over to the Senate. So the Senate can want and push and do some things and make some amendments. But you guys are the ones that are responsible for the uh, you guys are the ones that are responsible for the budget as a whole. And so let's talk about some of those big issues like the education issue. I mean, that is we spent yesterday. I was talking a little bit about it. One point seven billion dollars on education and yet all we hear in the newspaper is how oh my god we're unfunding the ch- the children are underfunded because we haven't increased the base student allocation we've only well we have increased it but only four percent and of course it doesn't talk about any of the other monies that are spent mm-hmm. uh, and that's going to be the talking point in the narrative and i can see it already this is going to be a huge issue yet at the same time when we spent 1.7 billion dollars in education we're 49th in reading we're 47th, 48th in science and math. We're, I mean, we're scraping the bottom. The, the barrel has no more bottom underneath of it. And we're spending more than most other states. What What do you say about this idea that more money is going to fix this problem that they're asking about? Well, I've never been one to think that money is going to solve the problems. Money's helpful, but we've we've already proven that adding more money is not going to improve our outcomes and it's not uh, it's it's not getting us where we want to be as a state on any level. You know, education happens to be the uh, what is it? The second largest budget item. Right. Uh, so I I'm working. Yeah. For, I want solutions. You know, I'm asking, OK, you want a BSA increase. Right. Why you want a BSA increase? What are you hoping to solve? So I've introduced a bill. I have it in pre-file. Some of you may have seen it in the news. It's HB 21 that is a healthcare consolidation that allows schools, municipalities, and the University of Alaska to join the state of Alaska, Alaska Care Healthcare Program. Okay. So it's just utilizing a larger pool. And, and my thought was the state of Alaska is already paying a lot of uh, the healthcare costs in education. We, we fund a lot of the school district's monies, right? Right, right. right. So, why not consolidate our health care to save money? Yeah. Makes sense. It, it allow options for some of the smaller communities, and that could really save money and provide the service that they're needing to provide for their employees. That's part of the problem with recruitment and retention is affordable, uh, just access to good health care, a good plan. I want the focus to go on the classroom and and be able to focus on our children, but we have to take care of those who are working for us as well. So this is just an option that I'm putting out there that can hopefully reduce the spend event. You know, once we go down the road, the more people that pull in, the more affordable it will become. This is just one idea that hopefully will help ease that burden on the BSA. I've never understood why you have a whole group of government employees or who all work for the same, basically same entity, and yet they're working out of different pools when you could consolidate and get a bigger, you know, bigger bang for your buck. I've never understood that. Uh, And then I saw a stat the other day that blew my mind. The state of Hawaii has one school district for the entire state. 
covers all the islands, all the people, all the kids, everything else. We've got 53 separate school districts, some with as few as a dozen kids, some with 40,000 kids. You know, and I'm I'm not saying that we should have one school district for the whole state, but maybe we ought to get some geographic and consolidate because every one of those has got superintendents and secretaries and, you know, vice whatever. And I mean, there's so much duplication of effort. And then yesterday I was reading again from the Alaska Policy Forum, Sarah Maltablano, who's writing on education for the AFP. And she pointed out that based <laughs> that, that right now for every four teachers that are in the school system, there's five non-teaching staff for every te- every four teachers. So it's like 1.25% non-teaching staff for every teacher that's going on out there. And we've seen those numbers. There's a chart out there that I've sh- I got to go find it again because it basically shows – the enrollment rate going like this on this downward slant on the graph. And on the other side, it's the administrative staff going up like this. So we've got fewer fewer students, more administration and overhead. Something's got to change there. I mean, I think somebody has to fundamentally say, you're right, more money, just blatantly more money is not necessarily going to fix it. But what we have is not working. It's it's something is fundamentally broken in there. And we have to admit that and talk about it. Well, there's uh, there's been some proposals, and I believe it was Senator Shower who had a bill uh, to consolidate school districts into 17. And if I remember correctly, it may have had a companion bill uh, at that time. And that was consolidating geographically, according to region, because, you know, the down on the peninsula, we're going to have different needs than that on the North Slope, right? And we want to keep our schools localized. And that's another thing to remember is that you want to see these changes of reducing administration, go to your school board. You have more authority there. We want, we believe in localized government rather than it coming from the top down of the state. Right, right. And that's really what we need to be reminding parents and community members about is that they need to be, uh, you know, rattling the saber at their school boards about some of these changes and providing the efficiency because um, that's where the power structure is. Yeah, Sarah uh, Vance is our guest. I agree with you, <clears throat> and I think it's important to know. I wouldn't want, like I said, I wouldn't want one school district to rule the entire state. I mean, obviously, you know, Anchorage would then reign supreme on everything just based on numbers and everything else. But regional, yeah, I think regionally we could do it. I mean, even if you cut the number of you know, from 53 down to 30, I mean, you'd still have uh, a, a tremendous consolidation and the elimination of the duplicate, you know, the duplicative positions. And you could save some real money and maybe put some of that money back into the classroom where it belongs, which I think is important. Sarah Vance is our guest. We're going to continue with her here in just a moment. Welcome to the six o'clock club. See, Sarah's got her mug. She made it in by the skin of her teeth the first time. Six o'clock is not her thing. So, all right, we're going to be back. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. What is that? Common Sense, regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Do I? I just. I. I. I'm. I'm just so. I'm not frustrated, but I'm just kind of 
and I'm not shocked. I don't even know what the word is, Sarah. But every time I see another story in the paper about how don't you care about the children? Don't you care about the children? Look at what we've done. We've we've ignored the children for the last five years, and because we haven't, and and of course, there's no mention of all the other millions and billions of dollars that have been spent on education outside of the BSA. I mean, no, but nowhere in the nowhere in the articles do they point out that the BSA is just simply the starting point for the educational funding. Um, and but it's 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 the narrative, right? It's gotten out there, and uh, and I don't I don't know how we I don't know how we press back against that for because most people are just headline readers, right? I mean, they read the headline, they read the first paragraph of the story, and then they move. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, we know, I care about children. We should do that. They never really they don't think any more deeply about it than the headline, and unfortunately the. Local news media is just not doing its job as far as the, you know, kind of equal balanced reporting on this stuff. And so we're basically just getting the talking points from from the other side. I mean, you're going to have an uphill battle. I think they're they're going to want to just pour a few hundred million dollars more in education and call it good. Go home. Oh, yeah. And we've seen that. That's been a lot of the discussion. And really a lot of it is because Anchorage is struggling. And uh, that is they make up 40 percent of the legislature. And uh, they're they're wanting to solve their problems. And the age old uh, solution is increase the BSA. Right. But the entire point of the base student allocation is that it's a formula funded mechanism so that we don't have to have this political struggle. Every but that year. Right. To every year. Yeah. And what we heard before was fully fund education. Well, we did fully fund education because it's a formula and added on top of that and paid for the school bond reimbursement. So we just said, you you go into debt. Yeah, we got that. You know, how many times did we do that over and over again? And then they had all the COVID money and and still, well, you're not you're not giving us enough. Right. So I I'm trying to find ways that are going to solve the problems. And uh, you know, we have to go those deeper conversations rather than just saying no or saying yes. We have to look at what's the the real issue here you mentioned administrative cost i'm addressing the healthcare uh one one area that uh has not been looked at and this idea came from senator mia costello she said what if we were to separate out the energy cost out of the base student allocation and fund the energy cost on a separate line we would be forced as a legislature to look at that expense and hopefully it would motivate us to solve that problem for all of Alaska. Our energy cost in our schools is astronomical. Right. I've heard in some communities it's 30 or 40 grand a month. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean And this, what are we doing about it? Well, and this again, this goes this goes far afield from education. It goes straight back to the whole power cost equalization thing. I mean, that thing was supposed to be to help provide inf- it wasn't supposed to be a grant that it was reoccurring we just give you government money every month or every year it was supposed to be a way for them to build out the infrastructure in these communities to create and provide their own power so that that i mean that was you know give a man a fish feed him for a day teach a man to fish you know he, he eats for a lifetime kind of thing i mean that's what it was supposed to be it was supposed to build out that infrastructure not become a pot of money that just subsidized people 
forever and made them dependent. And that's what we're looking at. You're right. Cutting that out and and cutting that out of the line and showing it to them would be something completely different. Uh, I mean, we're not getting the dollars into the classroom. In fact, you were the one that that I think the last time you were on the program that gave us the numbers and said, what, only 40 percent of the dollar uh, of every dollar is actually making it into the classroom. The rest of it's being sucked up by overhead. I mean, I believe it's about 45. But in the University of Alaska, yeah. it's only 16. 16. 16 percent of the university dollars are being I mean, just it hurts. It hurts my brain. It hurts my brain. The first time I saw that in the subcommittee, I I asked the then President Johnson, am I seeing this accurately? I thought it was a typo. And he was was like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They they didn't put me on university budget subcommittee after after my first term. I asked too many questions and did not vote for their increases because 16 percent is not fulfilling its mandate. Well, and now they got just another whole cachet of of land from the government, from the federal government, because, I mean, they're a land grant university. They're supposed to be generating their own funds out of their own. And they're not doing it. And it's just. I tell you, I'm really excited that they have gotten more land because they have been they they are pre-statehood. University is what a hundred years old, yeah. roughly. Yeah. And the fact that they have their more of their land is very positive movement. Well, we'll see what happens with that. We're gonna continue here. Sarah Vance, our guest, the Michael Duke show. Like and share, like and share, like and follow. Let's go. All right, Sarah Vance is our guest, uh, GOP uh, representative from down on the peninsula, what used to be District th- District 5 now? District 6. Six. Six. It's only going to take me a year to memorize all the districts again. Uh, all right, uh, Sarah, uh, okay, so we were talking about education. That's going to be a big thing. The, the boogeyman that really scares me, though, of all the things that we've talked about, and I, wa- I do want to talk about the ranked choice voting thing and all that, but... The thing that really scares me now is that I'm already seeing this push. Jesse Keel, uh, Andy Josephson, others are pushing hard for the return of the uh, of the retirement system, the defined benefits plan. Uh, now we still currently owe or have an unfunded liability of between seven and eight billion. That's with a B billion dollars on tiers one, two, and three of the previous defined benefits program before we got out. It was at $12 billion, and we chiseled away at it down to $7 billion. Uh, but now they, they're they like, nope. We, I mean, Jesse Keels, his pulls no punches. It's all government employees. It's all state employees. It's all teachers. And it's all municipal employees. That means somebody who works not for the state, but for a borough or a city. They can all be part of it. All I could see is, I mean, it's, it just reminds me of the national debt clock of the numbers just racking up there. What's your thoughts on what's going on? Uh, what's going on there? And uh, your thoughts on the push to return to the defined benefits retirement system? Well, I I wish that all of us had that golden ticket. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> where I, um, you know, the first thing that people need to know is that we're not trying to withhold from our employees, the people who are working and serving, whether you're teachers, law enforcement, but what can we afford? And the tier one really broke the bank for the state. Uh, it was, it was, it's called the Cadillac plan for a reason, but I tell you what, we're at the Honda level and, and we have to do what is, um, what we can afford, first of all, right. but also what can be competitive. And all I'm hearing is, well, in other states, they offer this in other states, they offer that. But I tell you in Alaska, we offer an incredible quality of life and really, really great salaries. And, um, you know, when I've spoken with law enforcement and asked this a number of years ago, I do a trooper ride along. I um, engage with our law enforcement, incredible people. And I asked, what do you think? And they said, you know, we get we get pretty decent salaries in retirement. But a lot of the the issues are relation relating to families. And, you know, the the rural lifestyle is a challenge on families and we need right. a better plan a work structure that can be supportive to families. You know, teachers, I've heard a lot of them are tired of all of the other things that they're required to do besides teach. They're tired of the woke agenda. They want to know that they're going to be supported and not get a pink slip all the time. Right. Well, that means that they need to feel valued and, and that they're actually going to focus on academics and be supported by parents. Those things go so much farther than uh, than a retirement plan. They want to enjoy the job that they're doing today. I, and I and I I agree with that. I think that's much more. I mean, like you said, we'd all love the golden parachute, but I mean, heck, a lot of us mm -hmm. would love the defined contribution where the employer puts money into our retirement at our. I mean, we would love our our employers to match our retirement. You know. A lot of us are out here on our own having to do our own thing. That's just that's kind of the way of the world. And so it does kind of irk a lot of us when they're like, not only, you know, that they're not happy when it's just the employer matching whatever your retirement is. No, no, we want the Cadillac plan on top of that. And I'm just like, they're getting a good salary compared to, you know, many other places. Alaska still pays one of the highest teacher salaries in the nation. Uh, not the highest, but one of the highest. And yeah, there are other problems, but I think a lot of it is related, as you point out, to the remote and rural nature of many of these positions. I think that's why you see the revolving door more than anything else. I don't necessarily think it has to do with the money or the retirement. It's all the other factors, and we need to address those for sure. Well, one of the positive aspects of the governor's budget this year is uh for state housing in some of the rural communities. He did add some in the budget for that. We heard about that in judiciary where you have some of these rural communities and whether it's um, you know law enforcement, teachers, social services that have to travel or, and or live in the rural communities do not have an adequate place to live that is safe or um, you know just reasonable. So we decided in that it was something that we needed to take initiative on is have housing that the state can build and really utilize for employees because that's a major concern you know i'm not for the state building a bunch of housing that's going to compete with the private sector at all but when we are requiring people to go out there we need to make sure that they have a safe 
uh, place to live because that's been a big concern. You have young teachers going out to the rural communities. I've read some of those awful stories about what happened to them because they did not have a safe place to live. So that's in the governor's budget that I'm going to support. We need to do more of that and um, create that that stability in people's minds that that very basic structure is going to be supported for them and make it a little bit easier. I, I am hearing from te- a lot of teachers this is that uh, they just want to have a, a place to live when they when they come to Alaska and serve. And, uh, you know, we're we're in the process of doing that. Uh, Sarah Vance is our guest. One final uh, thing from my part, and then we'll talk about maybe some of the things that you want to do. Obviously, define, uh, excuse me, uh, ranked choice voting has been a big thing, you know, for the for the citizens. Uh, and I know that there's been a push that people want to get it back off the table and everything else. But I mean graded for me here. Do you think this legislature is going to have any interest in taking something like that up? I mean, especially since the fact that many of them won their races due to ranked choice voting? Well, you know, Michael, I believe in miracles. (laughs) Sorry, I almost swallowed my tongue there for a second. (laughs) I mean, that's really what I mean. I, I know we're kind of pitching pie at the sky at this point, but I mean, yeah, I don't. I think it's going to have to be a citizens initiative, and I know there's already groups that are pushing for this and everything else. So we'll see. We'll see what goes about that. Okay, we got about three and a half minutes here. That was a quick answer because there really is. I believe in miracles is pretty much the T-shirt that we're going to get about repealing <laughs> uh, ranked choice voting. Um, so, what is Sarah Vance going to be focused on when you get down there? And you know, what are you? I mean, you've got your pre-filed bills. Mm-hmm. You know, talk about that. Anything else that you're highlighting here? We got about three minutes. Well, the first thing is that I'm going to do what I was elected to do. I'm going to do the will of people, regardless of what the Senate has in mind. And I think that's something that uh, the public needs to remind lawmakers about is, hey, you gave us an understanding of what your focus was going to be, why we elected you to office, and we expect you to do that. And the more that you engage with us in a positive manner, because you elected 19 new people to the House, continue that relationship so that they feel close to you. That's so important. And ranked choice voting was the number one issue. Repealing ranked choice voting was the number one issue in my district. And I'm hearing across the state, people are saying, get rid of it. It is rank. It stinks. And uh, that's why I had the pre-file is that it puts us back to one person, one vote. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to make as much noise in the House. And I can't do that alone. I need the public to say this is what we want. We want to get back to that reliable one person, one vote. It should be simple. We talked about you shouldn't have to educate people on how to vote. A five-year-old can say, I want that guy, right? It should be that simple. Right. And um, that's that rug has been pulled out from underneath this in Alaska, and I want to return the confidence of elections back to the people. No, I, mean, I think that's hugely important. I, I agree. I think that uh, this is going to be an important piece. And I think it's something we're going to be fighting about for the next two years. And we'll look back and see uh, the effect of ranked choice. It'll probably be a case study in 10 years from what it did in Alaska. And, and if we can overturn it, that'll be, you know, that that's what we're going to that's what we need to do. Um, the final thing is the budget, Sarah. The budget is uh, AFP just came out and it said the sustainable point of the budget this year is seven point one billion dollars which is a huge cut from what we just laid out. What do we lay out? Nine something billion. I mean, it's a huge cut. What do you think is going to happen with a budget? We got 60 seconds go. 
you know, I doubt we're going to see that big of a of an appetite suppressant. I really doubt it. That we we saw the effect of trying to do that four years ago. It did not go over well, and uh, I'm hoping that we can put some down pressure on the budget and and see some efficient reductions. But like we talked about in the Senate, I think they have different things in mind. And really, when it comes down to it, is the conference committee and who sits on that committee. So we're going to have to make some wise choices in the very near future. Sarah Vance is our guest and has been our guest. Uh, District 6 down on the peninsula. Sarah, thanks for coming on so early. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for coming on the program. Uh, all right, folks, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show continues. Mark Cameron, our guest in hour two. I... Sarah, this is again. You guys, uh, you guys just amaze me because all I want to do when I look at this stuff is smash my head against the counter until I'm unconscious, you know, because it's just it's going to be so so uh, tough. Um, I'll give you the floor here. Final thoughts for folks who are going to be watching the session start next Tuesday. Uh, you know, your exhortation to them, what we need to do, how we can help. I guess is the biggest question here. Well, I appreciate that, Michael. And really, you know, all of your listeners are those who are engaged. You you pay attention. You know what's right. going on. And we need you. We can't do this without you. We didn't get here on our own. You put us here. And um, this is a partnership that we need together. You know, um, continuing to email, call the offices and saying, hey, I support the bills to rank, to repeal ranked choice voting, for example, calling in and on the committees, sending those emails, you know, talking about it to your friends and neighbors. There's a lot of people who still believe this gave us more options. Uh, you know, just educating other people to say, no, actually, on average, 11% of the ballots are tossed out. And uh, how is that giving more opportunity for people's voice to be heard? You know, people just need to know. And that helps us do our job better because we have to create a groundswell of um, of positive movement, whether it's the ballot initiative or the bills in the legislature, we're going to have to partner in this. And the more that you give us that interaction, the easier it makes our job. And um, I just can't emphasize that enough. No, I mean, I, I, I agree. We are, you know, we're preaching to the choir here because the folks who are listening to this show are engaged. They're not uh, you know, they're not just uh, casual, low information voters. These people are, you know, they they know what's going on. We need to bring more people into this. We need to educate some of those more casual voters and get them uh, educated about what's going on and get them engaged. And that's the only way we're going to be able to save what's happening around here, in my opinion. That's right. I mean, we had this last election was one of the lowest voter turnouts in a non-presidential election Uh in, in a very, very long time. And we need to change that. We need more voices at the at the table and um, speaking up for what we really want to see. Because when I'm interacting with the public, it's clear they're not happy the way things are. But who who's making their voice heard? It's those who are, are um, not necessarily seeing the common sense approach to government that we are. And we need to make sure that that you are continuing to let us know the direction that makes sense for Alaska. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I couldn't agree. I mean, there are people out there who, again, who bought into the narrative that, you know, what I call the narrative, which is the only way we'll be successful as a society, the only way to move forward is with the direct benevolent intervention of government, right? That's the only way we can move forward. 
we did just fine without government for a long time in this country, without that yeah. interference, without them being in every aspect of our lives, uh, you know, and 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 we need to get back to that. We need to try and clear the decks of that uh, of that uh, mentality and uh, and find a way to do it. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that there are more people like you, Sarah, in the legislature. I'm hoping with these new 19 legislators in the House that maybe you'll rub off on some of them, you know, is, is all I could say. Well, we have some great people. I'm I'm really looking forward to getting to know them, building relationships. And, uh, you know, we have a lot uh, who have experience on the municipal level, which is something that I don't have, I didn't bring to the table, you know, so we're going to have some some people who are really engaging and bring some solutions. So I think it's going to be a dynamic session. I hope so. I hope so. Sarah Vance, thank you so much for coming up and and this early. I know every time I cringe, every time I ask you, 624 question mark? <laughs> Ow. Um, and uh, I appreciate you coming on board uh, so early this morning. And good luck to you. Keep us in touch. Keep, you know, keep in touch with you and we'll – We'll try and keep you supplied with coffee mugs and beard curler coffee. All right. We'll do our best to to get you to get you powered through. Thank you so much for coming on board. Sarah Vance, uh, our guest this morning on uh, the Michael Duke show. Uh, We appreciate her uh, coming on board. And as always, uh, like I said, if we could have a few more Sarah Vance's out there, I think uh, I think we'd have a much better chance of making uh, all this work out. Uh, Don't you? I mean, I that's. That's my thought on this. Um, all right, let me go back over to the chat room here and see what some of the folks are saying. I saw Sandy say something. She says, uh, Sarah's absolutely correct. We need safety for the teachers. She said, I had uh, I had a traveling teacher friends who slept in the cafeterias in some villages. Some villages had single wide trailers. Those are not built for the temps. There. No, I mean, that's the thing. I never understood why you would hire teachers to go out to remote areas and then not have housing for them as part of the uh, as part of the plan. That never that never made sense. Uh, uh, you know that that never made sense to me. Uh, I think James is also captured when we were talking about the university and their land grant status and how they should be funding the university from their land grant side, and he said. Why rush to monetize the land, which is not going anywhere when the state is such an easy mark for cash flow? I, he's not wrong. Why would we? Why would we tap into this land bank, which is? I mean, this is our this is our money forever. We have this land is there. It's not going anywhere. When we could just go hat in hand to the legislature and demand that they give us more money. Um, I. It's just you know this is what's this is what's going on. This is what's happening. Um, just, just think of all this stuff. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know. I, I'm trying to be positively hopeful about what's going on in Juno, and that maybe just maybe we'll have the opportunity to, uh, you know, to see some changes. I, will it happen? I don't know. We can only, we can only hope at this moment. All right, folks, uh, we're getting ready to do it. Hour two is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show continues. We got Mark Cameron, our guest. He is an uh, Alaskan-based author. We're going to talk with him in just a second. I see he's just popped into the green room, and we're all ready to go. We're going to have a beard off this morning. It's going to be fun. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Here we go, hour two.
buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find the audio-only live stream, links to our social media sites, where we simulcast the show every day on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, and also, of course, links to our podcast, which is available wherever you find podcasts. I recommend Spotify. Uh, but wherever you go, that's the place to go, MichaelDukeShow.com. You can find all the good stuff. And also, of course, broadcasting live on regular old terrestrial radio across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to Thursday, hour two of the big radio show. Now, I made myself a promise in 2023, and I made this late in 2022 because, let's face it, I was sick of politics. I mean, I was... I was just, I was ready. I was donezo with a lot of the stuff that was going on. And I said, you know, this next year, I'm going to do more things that make, uh, I'm going to do more things that make me happy. I'm going to talk with people and talk about things and talk about stories that make me happy. And then my wife dropped me a link uh, one day uh, talking about this Alaska-based author who uh, is doing great stuff on his own, has his own uh uh, has his own uh, series of uh, geopolitical military-style adventure novels and also has been writing for none other than Tom Clancy. Retired Chief Deputy U.S. Marshal and New York Times bestselling author Mark Cameron started a thriller series in 2011, uh, the Jericho Quinn th uh, thriller series. He's written eight Quinn novels and four of his newest series featuring the character Arliss Cutter, uh, who is a U.S. deputy marshal based in Alaska, which uh, which is reflective of Mark's uh, history itself. He is also the author of five Tom Clancy Jack Ryan novels for the Tom Clancy estate, including uh, Shadow of the Dragon and Chain of Command. Uh, Mark Cameron uh, is our guest today, and we welcome him to the program to talk to just to just talk about the stuff that uh, we want to talk about, so let's bring him on board now. Good morning, Mark. Uh, how are you? How are you doing here this morning? Hey, very well. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. This is uh, this is kind of exciting to me. I was reading this article, and you and I were actually talking about it because this article apparently. Uh, the the article that my wife dropped me. I thought it was a new article till I looked up the top and said it was like 2018 or 2019. Uh, and I don't know how I missed it uh, because I've been a big Clancy fan for a long time. And it was the kind of the story about how here's this Alaskan author who has his own success doing his own thing, and then was tapped to uh, come on in and uh, 
uh, and and start writing for Tom Clancy. So first of all, let's get a little bit of history about you, who you are, where you are, where you come from, and let's talk about your writing career and let's talk about uh, where you're going now. So first off, you know, who's Mark Cameron? What uh, What's your background? Uh, you're, you're here in Alaska. You're over in Eagle. By the way, I'm a little jealous of your whole uh, video setup there with a the fire behind you and everything. And <laughs> that's uh, that's kind of that's kind of great. But let's yeah. uh, let's talk a little bit about your history. Yeah, so my wife and I have lived here for 25 years. I'm originally from Texas and worked for a small police department down there and um, worked there about seven years and then got on with the United States Marshals, worked in Texas, Idaho, and got to Alaska as quick as I could. We raised our kids here, um, moved here when our oldest was in the eighth grade and our youngest was about seven. So we've, you know, they've all grown up here. Now they've mostly flown the coop and live in other places and one uh, is an Anchorage police officer. We live here in Eagle River, and I retired about 10 years ago to write full-time. Kind of overlapped. I was writing. I had permission to write as long as I didn't write about the Marshal Service. And I wrote, you know, of course, on my own time. Wrote about six books before I retired. And then when I turned 50, it, I was fortunate enough to have enough contracts that I could uh, – sort of seamlessly just slip over and write full-time. <laughs> Transition into the full-time writing yeah. gig, which yeah. um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, I just love to write full-time. It's a it's a lot of hard work. I mean, you know, I've, I, oh, have yeah. I have several friends who are writers and they're like, boy, you think it's just sitting by the fire and drinking coffee and doing whatever you want. But man, you've got, you know, you've got to pull some of them, you've got to pull deep on some of these things and, and the writer's block is real and all these kind of things. So tell us about your first, uh, you know, tell us about your first series, and you know the the genesis and the and the kind of the 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 inspiration for the whole Jericho Quinn series, and give us kind of some backstory on on what the series is about. Well, that's going to be a cool backstory for Alaskans because I had written about six westerns before I wrote a Jericho Quinn, and I had a, a literary agent that I uh, sorry about my clock there, my wife's clock um <clears throat> i had uh, i noticed how you blamed it on your wife sorry about well, my it wife. Is her clock sorry about it, my it wife's wakes clock. me up it wakes me up when i'm sitting by the fire writing um <laughs> i uh i had written these six uh six westerns and my agent uh a wonderful literary agent named robin rue with writer's house out of new york she we were talking one day and she said you know mark you are really you really need to write thrillers that's what you want to do the Westerns aren't really, you know, they're not very lucrative. They're fun to write. I enjoy Westerns. I come from a, you know, a cowboy horseshoe mounted police background. So I switched over and I wrote a, a thriller. Now, again, I had six books published already. They were under a different name. Um, right. But I felt very confident and she couldn't sell it. And then she said, well, you know, it's, it's good, but let's try something different. So I spent another year and a half, wrote another book. Um, and again, I'm doing this in my spare time while I'm a deputy marshal. Right. And the uh, second book I tried, she, she trotted all around New York, couldn't sell it. But then we got a page and a half rejection letter from one of the big five publishing houses. And usually rejection letters are thanks, you know, not for us, you know, have that's about stay. it. Yeah. Have a nice day. Exactly. Hate to see you go. Bye. And so I, um, but, and she said, you really need to read this. And this particular editor uh, wrote, it was very heartfelt. And it, it was, you know, we love your writing. 
I think this is, you know, you, you I love your character development, but you've got to decide this and this. And he, he gave me some good pointers. And then he, he said something that really changed, it pissed me off. And then it made really a difference to change the, the trajectory of my writing career. He said, and anyway, who cares about Alaska? And who cares about a bunch of Alaska native kids? And I was like, wow, I'll show you, mister. And, and one, of the, one of the things that he said was, you need to write something over the top. You need to write a Jason Bourne. You need to write a, a James Bond. You need to write some character that's really huge, a spectacle over the top. And then he ended up with an Alaska comment. It didn't mean anything. Now, this was pre- all the reality shows in Alaska. This was pre when, when not as many people were apparent. Everybody was interested, but Hollywood and, and New York hadn't become interested yet. Right. And so I went to the drawing board thinking that I was going to write a one-off Matt Helm, 1970 flashy novel. Um, this would have been in like 20 or 2009, 2010. And uh, you know, those old 1970. Oh old- yeah men's adventure novels with a guy with yeah, a machine this is, gun and yeah, this is buck the, some lass on the front and, like the john d you know. mcdonald right i mean this is like the john yeah, d. Oh, McDonald, yeah. you know travis mcgee kind of thing i mean where it's oh, like you, he can do everything and you know men men envy him women want to be with him kind of thing i mean that's what they you know that's the over the top you're talking about exactly and john d mcdonald by the way is one of my inspirations he's a uh travis mcgee the busted flush all that oh, and that's the the, <laughs> the inspiration for rockford files i think i mean that's just, yeah. it's just a really awesome series so and i read all of those when i was younger so i went to the drawing board my at that point my oldest son was um at the air force academy and had been tapped to be a, an osi a special agent with air force osi and so i thought well nobody really ever talks about you know we have ncis and you know, all that stuff that people right. know about with the Navy, but nobody really knows what OSI is like. So I'm going to make this really badass OSI or yeah, Air Force OSI character. He's going to have a, you know, a big gigantic Marine Cajun sidekick. My mother's from Louisiana. So I, I just drew from all these right. and I'd worked with OSI a bit as a deputy and as a chief deputy. And so I, uh, I uh, wrote this book that I thought was going to be a one-off. And, and I ride BMW motorcycles, and I'd been up and down the Alcan a couple of times on my GS. And so I put these two on these really hopped-up BMW GS Adventure motorcycles. He's an expert in jiu-jitsu, which I, I studied jiu-jitsu, but I wouldn't call myself an expert by any means. And he speaks seven languages. He's, you know, I mean, he's, he's that kind of guy you just talked about. Wrote the book, thought this is going to be a one-off, and we sold a bunch of them, and I've done eight now, and you know, the, and they they allowed me to retire when I want, needed to right. retire. And actually, it was a Jericho Quinn book. I had I had switched over. People became you know interested in Alaska enough that I could switch over and and start. My plan was to alternate between the Arliss Cutter novels and the Jericho novels, and my wife and I were in. Florida doing some research for a cutter novel, the first cutter novel. And previous to that, a writer named Mark Graney, uh, you might recognize him from the gray man series, um, the Netflix movie gray man. Right. And then the the books are incredible. He and I had become friends over the years. And one day at a a writer's conference, he said, Hey, what are you writing? You want me to give you a cover blurb? Well, 
you know, cover quotes from other authors, especially New York Times bestselling authors are kind of coins of the realm. We're all so busy. And so to get an offer to get a cover quote is a, is a pretty big deal because right. usually you kind of come on bended knee and please, could I have a moment of your time? Right. And he offered. And so I was ecstatic. Well, he at that time was writing the Clancy's decided he had decided to step away and do his own, you know, really focus on his own work. And he, uh, gave, he gave my manuscript to the editor and, without me knowing about it. Right. And Unbeknownst they, to you, he's like, they, he just slid it over yeah, and said, here, check they, this guy out. Check this guy out. He, he gave a, a manuscript for a, a Jericho called Field of Fire, which came out in 2010, I think. No, 2016. Um, anyway, they called my agent. And my agent called me while I was on the on the beach in Florida. And my wife has a photo. I, I, I guess she knew something important was happening. And I look like I'm having a heart attack or something <laughs> my face is stricken and um but we have that moment captured in time i'm pretty terrified to to get the news yeah so you get the call from the literary agent that says oh by the way we'd like you to write some tom clancy novels and i yeah. mean you're stroking out on the beach here you know kind of thing um what a you know what an exciting thing and how funny is it to me uh that you know all the things that you just mentioned about the Jericho Quinn uh, characters and the series and everything else, like you said, this is the stereotypical, over-the-top, you know, man of a thousand talents and faces mm -hmm. and, you know, like I said, women chasing him and, and you know, could kill you with his pinky and, and has got an IQ of 212 and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's just so stereotypical and 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 almost to the point of, you know, like the Flint where it's the parody of these oh, guys, mm -hmm. right? But that's what sells. That's that's yeah. what fascinates me because I remember the John D. McDonald novels. I remember a lot of those, you know, kind of things where it's over the top. And, you know, you 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 get lost in those stories. You love them because you know you're never going to be that guy. But at least for a yeah. minute, you are that guy. Uh, now I want to get into the, I want to get into your Arliss Cutter novels here in a minute, because that, that, that's what kills me is that you wrote your first novels, I'm assuming were more down to earth and realistic, like real people, real characters, not mm -hmm. necessarily this over the top. Is that what Arliss Cutter was able to bring to the table? It gave you the flexibility by doing these over the top characters to do something a little more realistic. Yeah. So, so he's, Arliss is, uh. He's got lots of problems. He's he's he actually he's from Florida. He's a deputy marshal who's been married four times. Uh, he's a you know a, a veteran of the the you know a military veteran. His brother is killed in a what they first think is an accident. So he moves to Alaska to help his sister-in-law and her kids after his brother's killed up on the slope. But then as we get to know Arliss, we find out that all his ex-wives happen to look similar to his sister-in-law. And he's carried a, a torch for this sister-in-law since they were 16 years old. Oh. And, and so he's, he's now living in the house with the, you know, doing all the deputy marshally things and tracking bad guys. And he's a, he's a born tracker. He's out in the woods a lot. And so Alaska is a good place for him. He just doesn't know much about it because he's from the, the Everglades. And so... And he was raised by his grandfather, he and his his brother. And so he imparts a lot of, he, he couldn't say grandpa when he was little, so he called his grandpa grumpy. And so there's a lot of grumpy, <laughs> grumpy wisdom that comes through from Arliss. 
as he's helping his two twin nephews. It's, it's a pretty fun book to write, but lots of action. Still yeah. lots of action. Well, we're going to continue to talk about that and more. Our guest is author Mark Cameron, uh, who is the author of the uh, Arliss Cutter series and the Jericho Quinn series and also writes for the Tom Clancy estate. And we're going to continue with him here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We're back with more after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now, commercial break. Uh, Mark, it's just me, you, and 58 of our closest friends on Facebook and YouTube right now just hanging out, doing our thing here this morning. Um, I got to laugh because, you know, again, you pour your heart and soul. I mean, I've done a little writing on my own just to tinker with it. Uh, You know, nothing that's, that's obviously any good or anything that I've ever tried to do anything with. But so I understand a little bit of how hard that is, and especially when you're pouring your heart and soul into you know, characters and everything else. And I just can't imagine, I'm, I'm trying to picture this letter coming back to you uh, saying, you know, I love your writing. I love everything you do, but uh, mm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And the fact that they, that their whole inclination was this, this over the top James Bond type character is just, it just cracks me up uh, because I, I mean, I, they, I can understand that because I've read those books. Escapist literature is what uh, one of our uh, one of our uh, uh, chat room members is saying right here. It's called escapist literature, and I agree. There are things that uh, you know there are there are things that do, but we all loved those books. The you talk about John D. McDonald. I mean, that was when I was younger. I mean, I was probably too young to be reading the John D. McDonald books, but I was reading them, and they were. Yeah, they they were formative, right? I mean, they they really gave you that idea of uh wow, uh a good guy out in the world can can be interesting and uh and save the girl, so to speak, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting that you know, publishers are not in the business of necessarily publishing art. They're in the business of making money. And so what the so this editor was right. He was absolutely right that I needed to think of something that was a more commercial at that point for for one of the big five now they do publish art fortunately and but they can't publish art for art's sake generally they they answer to shareholders and and that sort of thing so when and we've sold you know we we're upwards of a it's not clancy sales but we've all told the jericho quins have sold well over a million copies so they they did well now i try to I try to imbue a bit of realism, you know, and not try to take it. And when I, when I tell talk about the Jerichos, they're not probable, but everything I do in there is plausible. There's no jump in the shark kind of a thing um, because I want them to be, I want my law enforcement friends, I want my military friends to be able to go, oh yeah, that's what, that's what we do. Not that good, <laughs> not that skillfully all the time. Right. And, and certainly not one guy you know a good example of that would be in the clancy books 
the character John Clark is he's uh oh yeah probably early early 70s yeah. now yeah by the but when people say that could never happen I just give them two words Billy Waugh and all yeah. you gotta do is Google Billy Waugh and they will realize okay there are some people that can still be that way in their late 60s 70s um they're not going toe to toe with anybody but they're smart enough to, to yeah. do some serious espionage and and uh, intelligence work yeah no the the of all the clancy characters and he, and you talk about um how affected you were by hunt for red october um when you first read it i still remember reading uh red storm rising uh which was uh I was in high school. Uh, I was actually I was on vacation with my folks for over a Christmas vacation. They took us to Hawaii one year, um, and I remember sitting on the beach, reading this book, and just being I was sucked into it. I could not put it down. You know, it was just fascinating to me. And uh, yeah, but of all the characters that are in the Clancy verse. John Clark is probably the one where I'm just like, oh, I could read without remorse over and over and over and over again because it's such a great story and such a character. And again, a little bit of an over the top kind of thing. But like you said, plausible. And that's the thing we've mm -hmm. read. We've read all we you know, we get all the stories where they're the it's implausible. Right. The character is over the top mm -hmm. and implausible. And there is a fine line between what is real and what is not and what could happen and what it could possibly never happen unless you were the character in this book. And I think that's what I think that's what separates the OK writers from the good and great writers is that kind of finding that balance between those two things. Uh, hold on a second here, Mark. We're just about to return. And so let's uh, jump back into this. Mark Cameron, our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Like and share, like and follow, do all those things. Let's get back into it. Here we go. Continuing now with our guest today on our on our No Politics Thursday. I don't know what that is, but again, this is my promise to myself was that I wasn't going to focus strictly on politics all day, every day, all the time. And uh, this is part of it. I've invited to uh, onto the program this morning, Mark Cameron, who is our guest. He's uh, an Alaskan, lives over there in Eagle River. Uh, and he is a former U.S. Marshal and has uh, since retired here over the last uh, 10 years or so and has been writing a whole series of books, including two of his own, the Jericho Quinn novels and the Arliss Cutter novels. And he's also been writing for the Tom Clancy estate, uh, including the latest, uh, some of the latest Tom Clancy and Jack Ryan novels, uh, Shadow of the Dragon, Chain of Command, etc. And uh, we're just talking with him about kind of how we got started in the genesis of all that, and I and I and I I love that. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit more. So Jericho Quinn, we were saying was over the top, kind of the James Bond type character, and Arliss Cutter, this character, which is more humanized, more normalized, I guess we would say. Uh, so th having that success with Jericho Quinn gave you the ability to write. I mean, would you say that Arliss, the Arliss series is kind of the stories that you really wanted to write outside of the, I mean, 
you know, is that what you kind of what you started with? Did you go back to kind of your beginnings on that after the success of the Jericho Rich series? Yeah, you know, and and don't get me wrong, I love the Jerichos. They've been they're they're fun to write. I'm able to imbue some of those characters with other characters that I've met in real life, and and you know, some over the there's actually a lot of over the top stuff that happens in real life. What makes it exceptional, you know, especially over the top, is that it all happens to one cadre of four or five cohort you right know, right four or four or five uh because there's some amazing people out there that do amazing things that just take you you know take your breath away well so the the same thing can be said for arliss and his his trusty partner lola Tariki, a, a deputy marshal of polynesian descent um here in the in alaska so a lot of the same stuff happens to them you know bad stuff you know it's like angela lansbury that murder she wrote that town had more murders than you know yeah so it's the murder uh, capital of the world yeah right? exactly you know, this... so i i i write the arliss cutter novels in kind of a an alaska noir if you will they're grittier they're they're not about geopolitics at all with the exception of some of the villains come across from Kamchatka, you know, to because I know what law enforcement what law enforcement deals with over here from doing it right in Alaska, and so, uh, but I really try to focus on the the law enforcement, the the problems that are facing the people here in Alaska, the native peoples in Alaska. I'm able to take a little more time and step back, and uh, like the second book in the series, Stone Cross, happens out near Bethel on the Kuskokwim River in a in a fictional village, but around you know some of the villages that i've worked in over the years uh so it's certainly not based on any one village but inspired by them and, and in the arlises i'm able to, to step back a little bit take a few pages a few paragraphs to to describe what life is like out there just a little more than in the in the jerichos which need to be you know my my best um feedback i think on the jerichos is when somebody says they read them through you know, splayed fingers because they're so worried about what's going to happen next. Right. And there and there's a need for those kind of books. But with the uh, with the cutters, I want moments like that. But I also want to explore the character a little bit more. Explore Alaska, who's also a character in the in the books. And and you have to find that you know that middle ground because you don't want to put your audience to sleep, certainly. But but you do want to. I do want to take a little time and explore the characters just a little bit more but the audiences do overlap for right. sure well and it's ironic that uh, again for those who are just joining us uh, you know mark was telling a story about receiving a rejection letter where the person in the letter said you know nobody cares about alaska nobody cares about you know alaska natives or the characters here or whatever else but you know that has changed as you said with the advent of reality tv and the gold rush and the bush people and all these different show alaska state troopers all these shows about Alaska. I mean, Alaska is pretty hot. I mean, in a lot of ways, people have an interest. I mean, I think that uh, I mean, I, I remember back when I was a kid in Fairbanks, I was working for one of the tour companies slinging slinging uh, 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 luggage onto a bus, you know, and I got a chance to talk to some of these visitors. And most of them were in their 70s, you know, 60, 70, sometimes 80. And I would you know, we'd chat sometimes and I'd ask them, you know what? You know why I always dreamed of coming to Alaska. I dreamed of Alaska. That's what I wanted. And so Alaska has always had kind of that mystique and what a perfect setting for many of these stories. And like you said, the the mystery, the noir, 
Um, I think uh, it's kind of that perfect combination, and and I think that's I think that's a big enough hook for a lot of people. It's been you know we're growing because I had the readership already from the from the Jerichos. Many of them came over to the to the um, Arliss Cutters, but then we got a lot of new readers too that aren't necessarily interested in the you know, the military geopolitics, more the, I got a lot of, I, I share a lot of readers in common with CJ Box and William Kent Kruger and, and um, Craig Johnson, you know, Longmire, uh, Pickett, and then, and uh, those sorts of characters that, you know, like I said, kind of an Alaska noir. The, the fun thing for me is that when I moved to Alaska in 1998, when we moved up here, now deputy marshals do a, uh, such a big variety. You don't know whether you're going to be moving a prisoner to court or flying down to Florida for you know to help local law enforcement with Hurricane Andrew, or going to the Virgin Islands after some hurricane to track down a bunch of prisoners that escaped after a hurricane, or working the coal miners' strike in West Virginia, or you know protecting a, a protected witness. You just never know what you're going to do, and it's so broad in our which I loved. It was a you know, one of the primary things that got me into the marshal service as I worked with them as being a young police officer and seeing what the different agencies did. So take that then and move it to Alaska where you have all those things, but you could also be out on a snow machine going to, to look for somebody or, or being picked up at a lonely airstrip on the back of a four wheeler where the local village public safety officer takes you to a, a cabin in the woods where you, you go after your fugitive out there. Or one of the first things I did when I got here was um, board a Chinese vessel um, that we had to seize on the, it wasn't on the open sea. It was at a mooring buoy, but a mooring buoy off Dutch Harbor feels like the open sea. Yeah. yeah. Here, you oh, know, yeah. I've at, been there. <laughs> and I, and I described that it, in a, in the beginning of the, the, last uh cutter book to come out called cold snap there's it's not a chinese vessel but it's them going on to a russian vessel so we get to see i get to go back and say okay here's what i did like how can i make it cooler i'm going to make it even more interesting you know stretch the rubber band a little tighter but make it still plausible and and based on reality so alaska just offers so many such a as your listeners know such wide variety in in geography and culture and weather and light. So right. it's a pretty cool setting. <clears throat> no, I mean, I, I love that. Let's go, let's go back for a second before we get into the Clancy portion of it, because I, I find that interesting too. But, you know, you mentioned coming from Texas, being from a cowboy household and, and kind of that, that whole backstory reading uh, <clears throat> John D. McDonald, et cetera. Um, my formative years, uh, and I've told this story before in the program, but you, you know, you probably never heard it before, but, I started reading uh, when I was probably uh, in uh, fifth grade. Uh, I started reading novels um, because I was just a huge reader. I loved it. And uh, I started reading Louis L'Amour novels, right? <clears throat> and I see the smile on your face knowing that that's probably a big push. You started out in Westerns and doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Westerns are one of my favorite genres. I've, I've, I've narrated audiobooks for, for several different uh Westerns and stuff. I, I have a, a soft spot for that. But Louis L'Amour was a huge, um, Louis L'Amour was a huge influence on my life. In fact, I only read for about three years. That's all I read every one of his books in three years. 
was was there any kind of influence? I'm always interested to talk to people, especially writers. If uh, you know how much influence uh, Lamore may have played in what you were writing, and and or even in just not just in your writing, but in your life. I mean that kind of thing. Oh yeah, Lou Lamore had a code that he lived by. If you read his biography, you know the guy was a boxer. He was he was an adventurer. Lou Lamore had a code, um, and he wrote where his characters exemplified that code. Yeah, and so yeah, I I uh, I read all the Lou Lamores. I read. Elmer Kelton a little later on and um Zane Gray I, I, and yes. yeah I, yeah I love westerns and I you know I I sold my first book was, was a western and and I I actually look at Arliss Cutter as a western and Jericho Quinn as westerns there you know Jericho and his partner Jacques Thibodeau ride motorcycles like western you know like western <laughs> heroes ride right. horses Arliss carries his um his grandfather's Colt Python in a world where everybody's gone to to snazzy semi-automatics i started in law enforcement when we all carried revolvers and so you know on that time when we were making the transition to semi-automatic handguns and so arliss has to carry a small pistol to keep with marshal service policy because i want to make it real but he also as his backup he carries his grandfather's 357 <laughs> magnum colt python and consequently everybody you know, all the, his chief deputy and other people call him big iron, which, you know, sort of lends back to that Marty Robbins, you know, big iron on his hip. And I write, when I write Arliss, I think of him that way, that right. one, right. One Ranger. Now he has, you know, law enforcement is not like the Tommy Lee Jones, you know, marshal marshals that swoop in and take over from everyone. We work with people. We have to, we realize we, we need up here. we, would be alone if we right. didn't work with Alaska State Troopers or Anchorage PD or or Forest Service or whatever. And so Arliss does that as well. But he's still that that you know. And you you've been around people like that. Your listeners have been around people that just by force of of personality, even though they don't have bars on their shoulder or any leadership designation, they lead because everybody goes, oh, that guy or that gal knows what they're doing right and so you follow and that's what i want arliss and to a little lesser extent lola because she's his protege she's just young but uh, i want them i want my characters to be that way which is what louis lamore wrote about yeah and those are the kind of characters so whether it's a western or you know when i wrote my first west i wrote under the name mark henry mark with a k henry um and they were those kind of characters. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, I think that's, again, we yearn for some of the some more simpler kind of black and white uh, days. I think that's what Westerns bring us back to is kind of that code of black and white, you yeah. know, in a world of gray. It's a little, sometimes yeah. it's satisfying to read that. Mark Cameron is our guest. He is an author uh, of both the uh, Arliss Cutter and the Jericho Quinn series, as well as uh, uh some of the Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan novels. We're going to continue with him here in a second. Before we go to break, I just got an Amber alert from out in Unalaska. Uh, they're looking for Karina Villamore. Uh, five, 340 pounds, last seen at 3 a.m. Uh, yesterday, or this morning apparently, uh, wearing tan PJs and a sweater. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Call local law enforcement if you see her out there in Unalaska, where I know we're broadcasting right now dutch harbor on alaska and uh, uh just keep an keep an eye out for that all right <clears throat> we are going to the break right now we're going to come back one final segment with mark cameron 
We'll talk about his transition from his own novels over to some of the Clancy novels. And uh, we're just going to riff. We're just having a good time this morning. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return with Mark Cameron right after this. Your Mental Suppository. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. Hey, we timed that perfectly uh, for for the ding there. Uh, Mark is our guest. I had to laugh because Greg in the chat room earlier said, I had to put my glasses on because it looked like I was seeing double. Yes, Mark (laughs) and I were separated at birth. And so we're, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, Mark, first and foremost, let me just say I appreciate you coming on the air today because this is just <clears throat> this is fun for me. As I said, I've always been a big reader um, ever since I was a kid and, you know, consuming books as fast as I could get my mom. In fact, uh, I have to laugh because my mom would complain. She said, I'm not buying you another book. <laughs> if you if you finish that one too fast, I am not buying another book. I, re- I, I, I very, very remember that conversation very well at the time. Um, yeah, that's first world problems right there. I wish, all moms probably wish they had that. I know, really. That I, issue. You know, because, I mean, a paperback book back in the day was probably three bucks or something. She's like, <laughs> I'm not buying you another book, you know. And Lamore was alive at the time, and so some of those books were still coming out, and I was like, I really want the latest one. Oh, no, uh-huh. that's not happening. Um, <clears throat> no, this is uh, – this is an exciting time, and I'm loving. And and I, I'll be honest, I haven't, um, I haven't uh, read uh, uh, your uh, your Jericho series or the Arliss series, either one. Uh, I'm looking forward. To, I'm assuming since you work with a major publisher that these are all already published on audiobooks and stuff, ready to go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In this day and age, um, not only am I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a voice actor, so I get, a, I do narrations oh, cool. and stuff like that. So not only am I listening to those just for the strictly for the professional aspect, I have I have a lot of window time. So I find that I read, quote unquote, read most of my fictional stuff is audiobooks. That's what I do right. almost all the time. Right. You know. Right. So it's good to it's good to know that your stuff is available out there uh in audiobook land because uh I, I think a lot of more people I mean, have you seen it that as oh, a yeah. as a push in your side? I mean, that's an interesting sidebar, I guess how much audiobooks have become part of the landscape. In fact, uh, I see that I saw something from Brandon Sanderson, who's a science fiction writer. Mm-hmm. He has something about one of his latest uh, works, Lost Metal, had a 75% pre-orders and se- or, or 75% of the pre-orders were audiobook pre-orders. It's yeah, been- quite a, quite a big, quite a big number. We, whenever I go to a writer's conference or something like that, the audiobook people always we we have a lot of good chats because my the books do well on audiobooks but that's a that's kind of across the board most of my writer friends their books are doing very well on on audio it's just the way we live now yeah i think people people want to you know a lot of drive time a lot of uh people out walking and you know especially during covid a lot of oh yeah a lot of the audio stuff Went down. Well, I think the advent, you know, the podcast, which really yeah. is just, you know, it's long form storytelling, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the advent of the podcast and the increase in that. And the, again, get people with commute times and things like that, or, you know, riding the subway or whatever it is that they're doing, any kind of down moment. I do it a lot of times when I'm working, you know, in the garage or working on a project or something I'm listening to. But, but I mean, pretty much any time that I'm not doing something that requires, you know, major brain power. 
I'm mm-hmm. probably listening to a book of all different genres, geopolitical, science fiction, Western, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, and I think that, that that's become the new storytelling. Uh, it really yeah, has. Yeah. It's become the new storytelling, and um, which is good for me. I mean, I love that as a, yeah. as a voice actor because, hey, you know, there's some options that's out right. there to, to get that done. But that's um, right. um, I want to uh, – how much inspiration are you drawing? Um, you know, for, you're talking about some of the stories uh, for our list and other things. Uh, how, how much of a difference do you think being in Alaska and from Alaska has been in your writing in the reception of what you're writing? Well, I think it helps, you know, when you're any writer in this day and age, you're, you're not only selling your, the words you write, but with social media and everything, you're selling who you are as well, or, or, a you know, a, a social media cleansed version of, of, of who you are. But, uh. I think being from Alaska, being a, a former deputy marshal, um, having kids that are still in law enforcement, I think that that really helps establish some bona fides. But but it all as a writer, it helps me know the little things, you know, know those those unknown unknowns that researchers don't know to ask. Because I've been out to the to the villages, I've worked with people, I have many really terrific friends that live off the road system in in the Alaska bush many terrific friends in Alaska state troopers and Anchorage PD and, you know, being able to write about those characters and flesh out and sort of sing some of their praises really helps, helps me as a writer. And hopefully it comes across in the books. Somebody, I think it was Donna in the chat room. Um, first of all, thank you, Donna. Donna made a very kind, she says, I'm an audible lover and narrators make the difference. And Dukes is a great narrator. Thank you for the oh, confidence good. there. But she also asked earlier, what is the first book you recommend from your series? Which series and which book is the first? Obviously, just number one in each series is where you start. Yeah, you know, um, the Jerichos could be read in pretty much any order. If you want to read about Alaska, Field of Fire is probably a, a good one. It's one of the later books, but it's it's set in Alaska. All right, hold, um, hold on, Mark. We're about yeah. to rejoin here, so let's do it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. One final segment for this Thursday show. Our guest, a little change of pace. I'm loving it. Mark Cameron, author of a couple different book series. He's an Alaskan author based out of Eagle River, former U.S. Marshal. He has uh, penned the uh, Arliss Cutter novels and the Jericho Quinn thriller novels as well. But this last segment, I want to get into it. He's told a little bit of the story. But uh, Mark became uh, the author uh, for the Tom Clancy estate for the uh, Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy novels. Now, we all know that, you know, that was a real a real hit to many of the uh, uh, fans of Clancy. Of course, when he passed away, that was, uh, you know, it was really shocking uh, for a lot of us because it was kind of uh, who people, I guess, weren't paying attention. It was kind of out of the blue. And uh, it really, you know, it really raised the question. Well, Tom Clancy then ended up having writers and the estate. Somebody said, it's really weird. What did they say? I find writing for the estate a weird concept, he said. Um, But it's, you know, if you've got a story and you've got a series and you've got established characters, 
Um, and it's and it's a worldwide multi-million, you know, ed, sales phenomenon. You got to kind of keep it going. I mean, and people kind of want the story to continue. Um, you know, I remember one of my greatest things was I was so grateful that Robert Jordan from the Wheel of Time series actually outlined the entirety of his entire series at the end and then had Brandon Sanderson come in and do it because that would have just crushed us if we hadn't gotten the end of the story kind of thing. And so, you know, again, give us, you know, tell us what it's like, uh, you know, to be Tom Clancy, so to speak, in writing for the estate and those kind of things. I mean, that's got to be it's got to be some big shoes to fill. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And it was it was pretty daunting. And I, you know, I had a conversation with Tom Colgan, the, the editor who, who had worked with Tom Clancy before he passed away on several of his books and then is now my editor for this series. And and, you know, I said, I, I've been a Clancy fan since The Hunt for Red October. I've read them all, some of them like Without Remorse and Cardinal of the Kremlin many times. And and um, I can't do it. There's no way I can do that. And he said, don't try. Write the best Mark Cameron book you can in the spirit of Tom Clancy. Don't try to imitate his voice. And I will say that every time a book comes out, I get several nasty emails and I don't read my reviews, but I, I see posts <laughs> that people are, you know, wow, wow, wow. Why are you go write your own stuff? I am writing my own stuff. I'm paid by the Clancy estate asked by the Clancy estate. I did not approach them right. to carry on these characters as people carry on the bond characters for Fleming and people carry on the Ludlum characters. This is done a lot. And, um, I think people, if if people don't want to read it, then they shouldn't read it. That's fine. But I I think it's a misconception to think that I saw a Clancy book and said, "Ha ha, I can make a bunch of money." Or Mark right. Mark Graney saw a, a Clancy book and said, yeah. "Ha, I'm going to go rip off this guy's characters." Um, we get paid for you know work for hire. We get paid. We don't. It doesn't matter if five million books are sold. We don't make any more money. We make a, a specific amount of money to write these books for the estate and they carry on. If a movie is made out of the newest Clancy book is uh, that I wrote is um, Red Winter. It just came out. It's uh, set back in 1985. So it's back right after uh, the hunt for Red October. If somebody made a, a movie out of that, I wouldn't see anything of that. That's it. The estate owns it. So I'm doing this for the experience, of course, because I love those characters. Right. But it it's uh, it. It's odd to me that that people get so caught up in that, and you know, and, and kind of butthurt about it. Although I would say that it's a, it's really a compliment to Clancy because he's almost sacrosanct. Yeah. You, how dare you touch? Yeah. You know, where other writers, people don't necessarily do that, and that's that's a good thing. I mean, yeah. I feel in awe that I get to write these Clancy novels, right. that, these Clancy characters. And explore, but I worked very hard. I know Mark Graney worked very hard to stay true to, and and he and I still communicate. Hey, what do you think about this? Am I going in the right direction here? You think Clancy would have done this? Because Mark got to work with Clancy on the the last couple of books that he did, and so well Clancy was still alive. I never did, and so I'm able to pick his brain. So you know we're doing the best we can. There's no uh, Obviously, we're going to make some errors. And because Clancy wrote during a different time, then his books moved. You know, if I were to write a book with as much um, 
description of a an electron moving through a you know a, or a neutron in a in a bomb or a you know how Clan, uh, Clancy in um, I can't remember which book Rainbow Six I think wrote a whole chapter about how they made a gas tank in a Toyota I think a Camry uh, I couldn't get away with that right that's not because right. modern readers you know back when we didn't have the internet and Wikipedia and ways to research in without remorse he spends several paragraphs describing a K-bar knife uh, that Cl that Clark's going to use to great effect on someone. Yeah, right. um, I, I can't, modern writers can't get away with that much time describing a knife because modern readers want faster pace. Right. So the taste, I, the tastes have changed. And so, they yeah, exactly. The tastes yeah. have changed. And so our job, I think is to write something in the spirit of Tom Clancy for a modern reader. In other words, to make a modern reader feel like Tom Clancy made us feel when he was writing these books. Right. But they're not the same books. They can't be. Tom Clancy was brilliant. Right. And he would have written a different book had he been writing to 2023 audiences. Right. No. And, you know, I guess my answer to the, to the naysayers and to the, and to the, and to the, the whiners is, would you just rather not have another story with these characters? I mean, don't you want to know where the characters go from here? I mean, I'm, I am not opposed to that, and I'm not opposed to to seeing a change in the writing, as long as I get a chance to experience what these characters are experiencing moving forward. And I think that's uh, that's the important part. And you know, like I said, this is a like you said, this is a much beloved uh, uh, franchise universe, whatever you want to call it. And uh, it would be a shame just to let it die with Clancy. Right. No, and that's that's the way I feel about it. I would have to feel about that way in order to to do this because it is hard. It is daunting. It's it's um it's something that that we take the writers that that do the Jack Ryan Jr. series and I do the the senior series with John Clark and Mary Pat Foley and Jack Ryan Sr. The we take that very seriously. That mantle of of writing a, a Clancy book is you know everybody that writes these books is and was a Tom Clancy fan. And so right. um, we take we take that mantle very seriously and try to get those characters. And we're not, you know, it's it's like when people say, I sure like the book more than the movie, it's because we have a certain idea of what a character would be. And so some people are going to come into this with a different mindset or they're going to have read without remorse and then pick up Power and Empire or some book that I wrote and say, oh my gosh, Clark wasn't like that. Well, you know what? Clark's 68 years old yeah, now. Exactly. Of course he wasn't like that. He's got grandkids now. So yeah. he's still, he's still a, a bona fide killer in his bone marrow, but it's got to be the right time. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, Mark Cameron is our guest author of the, uh, uh, of the uh, Jericho Quinn and of the uh, Arliss Cutter novels here based uh, in Alaska. And then of course, writing for the Clancy estate for the new Tom Clancy novels. Anything, uh, we got about 90 seconds here, Mark. Anything new you're working on you want to tease to people, things that you're, uh, what do you What do you got coming out next, et cetera? Well, we got the the, the newest Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan novel, uh, Red Winter, is out. It's been out about a month. My newest artist cutter called Breakneck uh, comes out in April. It's got some cool scenes in Fairbanks and Anchorage and also on the, the Glacier Discovery Train, the Alaska Railroad, going out to the Whistle Stops and out to Spencer Glacier and some 
good action scenes on a realistic action scenes on a, on a train, <laughs> not, not, uh, right. We talk about that in the book. So, and I'm working on uh, the, the next Jack Ryan and then another, uh, cutter after that. So keep him busy. Keep him busy. Good thing you're retired. Right. And you're, yeah, yeah. you're not working <laughs> yeah. on that stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I reserve the right to call you back and bring you back on again, because this has been, it's been fun for me. I don't know about for the listeners, but I've loved it. So, uh, Mark, Great fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you coming on board. Thank you for being a part of it. Thanks. Always good to talk to the Brotherhood of the Beard. Yeah, Thanks that's right. That's right. Hold the line for just a second. Folks, we are out of time. Tomorrow is Firearms Friday. Hope to have Jacob Sullen from Reason Magazine on. Chris Chang, Top Shot Champion, should be with us. And Willie Waffle. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. We'll see you tomorrow. All right, uh, off the air now, uh, just uh, just me and Mark and all you folks out there. Mark, I just wanted to give you the, again, to say thank you so much for coming on board. I called Mark, I, well, I, I connected with him on Facebook out of the blue after reading that article for my wife. And um, I, I just, I'm so grateful for you to come on board. Uh, I wanted to give you the last bite at the apple here in case there's something that you wanted to, uh, that we missed or something we didn't hit on or something you think the listeners would get a tickle out of. Uh, happy to do it. Uh, give you the floor here for the last couple of minutes. No, I would just say thanks for having me on. And, you know, books sell not so much by social media, even though our publishers want us to to always put out stuff on social media. I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at marketing myself. But if if people enjoy the Arliss Cutter books or any of the other books, I just appreciate them talking to their friends about them, that, that you know, talking them up that way because... I really love Alaska. I wanted to get here. You know, we talk about books that inspired us. I read a, a Farley Mowat book when I was a boy called Two Against the North. Oh, yeah. And it's set, set in Canada. But when I was 10, I, I carved a set of snow goggles out of a cottonwood root in my backyard in Texas and <laughs> wore them around. And I think all my friends and particularly my dad thought I was nuts. But I just wanted to move north. And slowly you know over the years was able to get here and i love alaska i love writing about alaska as much as i write about arliss cutter so yeah i hope people enjoy them and i hope i i write honestly about alaska and the cultures and all of that so thanks for giving me the opportunity to come on and talk about it well we loved having it it's such a great change of pace it's part of my it's part of my plan for 2023 is to not get so bogged down in politics that by november i want to blow my brains out you know what i mean i'm just yeah, I'm, that's a good plan yeah that's a very good plan i'm ready to do something a little bit different and now i gotta go use up all my extra audible credits to go listen to some jericho quinn novels so <laughs> we'll, we'll get it done uh mark thank you so much uh like i said we'll keep in touch uh we'll right, we'll thanks. talk again okay later this year when you get close you know what we should do is when you get close to your april release uh we should uh, we should have you back on the show to talk about okay. it again okay awesome okay right. well i'll uh, i'll reach out to my publisher and, and or my publicist and and let her know so yeah. that he she uh sends you the appropriate free stuff oh okay <laughs> right. well that's great i mean i i never say no to free stuff but uh you know right. i'm just happy to chat so thanks yeah, Mark. i think she can get you like an audible arc or something like that oh, okay yeah. well i appreciate that yeah that'd be great i'd be looking forward to it all right mark cameron you can find him at markcameronbooks.com. And, of course, 
available on Amazon, on Audible, wherever fine books are sold. Thank you, my friend. We will talk to you you. again soon. All righty. Take care. Thanks. Folks, we are out of time for reels now. We got to go. Thank you for being part of the program today. As always, tomorrow, yeah, baby, Firearms Friday. We're looking forward to it. We will see you then. Have a great day. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show